In this episode of the Wish House Podcast, we'll be chatting with social worker Barbara McLean. Barbara has referred over a thousand kids to Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley over the past 20 plus years. Here is Barbara McLean. Barbara, welcome to the Wish House Podcast. How are you? Como estas? Bien, eh, bien, de lo más bien. There you go. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Barbara, I got to say, you were one of those uh, guests that I was really looking forward to, to chatting with, especially because your episode is going to be airing during the month of March, which is Social Work Awareness Month. And so share with our listeners a little bit about how did you first get involved with social work? What made you kind of decide to take that as a career path? Well, that's, um, that's a kind of interesting story. Okay. Uh, when I was in... Uh, college, I was kind of, uh, you know, floundering around, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, And I initially, I had done some volunteer work in a preschool with special ed kids, um, with a fabulous, outstanding teacher. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to become a special ed teacher. Um, got to college, took one education course and said, no, (laughs) that's not for me. I can't, this is not, this is not where I need to be. So then I kind of, you know, was hanging around trying to figure it out. And I finally took myself to the career planning office and, um, they gave me a, um, a test that you kind of put the information in the computer and it spits out uh, based on your responses of where your interests lie and what you're good at, um, what career choices are available to you. So it was very interesting because the two things that came out up were um, physical therapy and the other one was very specific. It was medical social work. You know, it it couldn't have been more specific. And as it turns out, I've worked in a variety of settings over the course of my career, but the settings that I've always felt the most comfortable in and felt the most effective in were in a medical setting. That's my social work story. (laughs) You know what? I love it. And, And for our listeners, just so you're aware, Barbara is one of our top two major referral sources at Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley. Um, She started referring kids to our chapter back in 2000. So over 20 years of a partnership where hundreds of kids have, you know, you've referred to our organization. How did you first hear about Make-A-Wish back in 2000? And what kind of prompted you to refer that first child? So my relationship with the Hudson Valley chapter of Make-A-Wish started 20 years ago when I started to serve children, young adults, and families living with cancer and serious blood disorders at Westchester Medical Center and then the Maria Ferrari Children's Hospital. Uh, Like I said, I had previously worked in other settings, foster care, group home agency, a mental health clinic, and in another healthcare setting, but I had never worked with this population. So, so much was new to me. Um, The Hudson Valley chapter has always had a very active presence at the Westchester Medical Center since the Wish House is relatively nearby us physically. Um, And it wasn't long before I was introduced to Denise D'Amico and the foundation's mission 
to provide life-changing wishes for children with critical illnesses. And I pride myself in referring almost 100% of our patients. That's amazing. And one of the key groups of people that you do refer to us, I mean, we started this whole podcast speaking Spanish, you know, are Spanish-speaking families. I mean, how is it working with those families that English is not their first language, I mean, Spanish or any other language? Mm -hmm. um, and how is it for you working with our families that are, you know, non-English speaking um, and kind of referring them to Make-A-Wish or helping them understand what Make-A-Wish is all about? Well, I mean, I think, you know, at the beginning, they're much uh, very similar to any other family that's hearing that their child has a life-threatening illness. You know, they're terrified, they're confused. Um, and obviously the language barrier adds an extra layer of difficulty and sometimes also educational background. Some uh, families are just not very sophisticated and have um, kind of, you know, erroneous ideas about what it means to have cancer or blood disorder. Um, so you kind of have to weed through that and find out, you know, what do they know about this? What do they think about this? Um, I think speaking the language is immensely helpful. Um, you know, I'm one of the few people, um, more and more of our staff are learning Spanish, um, but I am probably one of the more fluent people. Um, and that goes a really, really long way to making them feel comfortable because they're like, oh my God, somebody who I can ask a question to and understands me. Um, and so that kind of sets the stage um, for building trust, um, for you know, being able to explain to them what the foundation is all about. And usually, you know, I'm with all of our families, um, I'm helping them with other things, financial, uh, pieces, insurance pieces, school pieces. And so by the time I'm talking to them about Make-A-Wish, they have, I have a history already with them. They see that I've helped them with other things and they learn that, okay, I can trust this lady. So if she comes and tells me about this foundation that wants to provide a wish for my kid, it sounds a little crazy to me. It sounds, I'm a little suspicious, but I can trust her because she hasn't steered me wrong yet. That's really interesting. And, you know, and something that's uh, also good for our listeners to be aware of is that even though you speak Spanish and it may be fluent, there are hundreds of dialects of Spanish. So, you know, your background, <laughs> you're Puerto Rican, right? No, I'm Dominican, actually. I'm Dominican. <laughs> oh, okay. So, hey, breaking news. All these years, I hear thinking that Barbara was Boricua. So she's not Puerto Rican. So you are half Dominican. Half Dominican. I grew, I was born here. I grew up with my grandmother. Speaking of, you know, the experience of working with families where children are not being raised by their, you know, parents, mm -hmm. but by other family members. So I have that experience. And yes, so uh, my mom was from the Dominican Republic. Uh, yeah. And I grew up with my grandmother. So I had to learn how to speak Spanish. It, I grew it, up in a very, uh, you know, Latino community, Washington Heights. 
Um, Had you started with that, I would have known you were Dominican because that's where that's like there are more well, Dominicans in Washington Heights, believe it or not. <laughs> me now, when I was growing up in Washington Heights, there were mainly Cubans and Puerto Ricans, actually. That's and true. there were still a lot of Irish families there. And then it slowly started to change. And now it is like all Dominican pretty much. Right. And, and, you know, my background is Nicaraguan. So that's a whole different animal as far as like understanding the dialect. But you talk about, which is kind of a great point, you know, this kind of wave of immigration over the years and how it changes neighborhoods, it changes, you know, schools, you know, the populations within the schools. How have you seen it kind of change over your career? Um, just the type of kids that are coming in or the, the languages that are that maybe at one point were very prominent that maybe now are not as much or you're seeing more of another language. I mean, is that something that you tend to kind of encounter from time um, to time? Interesting. I haven't given that much thought, but I would say that over my 20 year span um, at the hospital, there are definitely more and more Latino families um, from multiple regions. Um, and and I also would think, you know, I would also say uh, more Middle Eastern um, families mm -hmm. um, that also have a different language. So, you know, I would I would say that's that's basically what I've seen. Yeah, I mean, we've seen it also on the referral side for our listeners, just for some background on kind of how we operate at the office. Once we receive a referral from someone like Barbara, it goes through a process of approval where we need to make sure that, you know, that this is a child that is eligible to receive a wish. They have to fit certain criteria. And then once they are eligible and they're ready to meet with a wish granting team, what we call at our office a wish team, which is comprised of two volunteers that are trained as wish granters to work on that wish directly. Typically, we get a referral form that's completed where we have a lot of information in there. Um, it could be it could be a lot of things. Their address, their you know certain likes that um, that that the kid may be into. But then more importantly, there's also their language. This family maybe speaks Arabic, or they speak Bengali, or they speak Polish, or Russian, or Spanish, or any other language. You know, we don't have a volunteer base that that has all those languages covered. So a lot of times, there's some additional layers of um, that we need to go through to ensure that not only do we put the best team together to meet with that wish child and their family, but also to make sure that the language barrier is not going to hinder in any way the ability to move forward on a wish. Um, so there's a lot of creative ways that we've been able to do that over the years. And, and thankfully, you know, we have great volunteers. And even if they don't speak the language, they'll figure something out, um, you know, whether it's like a handheld translator with, on their phone through an app um, you know, we've had people call in translators via phone and have them, you know, convey uh, messages back and forth between them. So there's a lot of cool ways that, you know, we've been able to kind of handle that. But if you are someone that is bilingual, any language, please make sure to reach out to us here at Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley if you're interested in volunteering your, your time to us, because that is a, something that would be a huge help for us. Well, let me just mention that that's yeah. something that happens in the healthcare setting as well. True. You know, so by the time a wish family that speaks a different language has gotten to you, they actually are very used to people using translator systems to to help them. So their experience in the medical world makes that maybe a little bit easier for on your end. Absolutely. Um, and I also special shout out, you know, to 
to everyone that you work with over at Westchester Medical Center, specifically Maria Ferrari's Children's Hospital, because you know, I mentioned earlier that you are one of the top two major referral sources. Right next to you is someone that you share an office space with, which is Rose Bartone. So shout out to Rose. Yes. Between the both of you guys, that's where yes. the majority of our referrals are coming from. But you also work very closely with the child life specialist uh, within yes. the hospital too. So, uh, and also they're referring kids to us um, throughout the year. So how is it kind of working within the different disciplines within that hospital setting and kind of getting people to know about Make-A-Wish? Because obviously, you know, you've been there for 20 years. So Rose has been there a long time as well. Um, but there's always people kind of coming in and out and, and there's, there's some turnover. So how is it that you integrate somebody new um, and let them know about Make-A-Wish? Well, you know, I like to sit down with somebody new that is coming onto our team. Recently, we had a new neuro-oncologist uh, neuro join the team. Um, and we have uh, usually two new fellows every year. So I try to sit down with them, even if it's a half an hour, to lay out how Rose and I work with the families, um, what's our setup, um, and, and to let them know what it is that we do. And of course, one of the things that we always let them know that we do is to make the referrals to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Yeah. And I like to make the referrals generally right almost right after diagnosis i don't usually wait very long because with certain diagnoses they're going to leave the hospital and i'm not going to have as much interaction with them and i'm always really afraid that i'm going to forget to refer somebody and you know miss my 100 percent um you know record I would not want to ruin my record. <laughs> you got an amazing streak going on. <laughs> it's, oh, it's more yeah. important than Joe DiMaggio's 56 game, you know, hitting streak. This is, this is momentous. And it's something that's really important. It's such a, it's, it's, it's critical, you know, for our chapter and our chapter history. We're, we're here celebrating 35 years of wishes and, you know, your team there, along with all those that are involved in referring kids to us from all over the place and all the eight counties that we serve. You know, this is really, this is what gets everything going. It starts with you. You're, the first time families hear about Make-A-Wish is from you. Um, and, that, and that's something that we've, you know, we're so proud to have partners in care like you that help us, you know, share our mission to our families. But, you know, it's one of the most fun parts of my job. And um, it also is really a good feeling to um, be able to explain what Make-A-Wish is and, and see the look of surprise and, you know, excitement on, on a child or, you know, um, ad young adolescent or adolescent space uh, when I talk about it. Um, so, you know, and I usually will even say to a family or a child, and I'll say, you know, this, I'm going to talk about something now, and this is like the, the most fun part of my job. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, and we're all smiling um, about it. And it often is a, a good icebreaker for me. And I want to go back because you mentioned it before that, you know, your relationship with Denise D'Amico, our VP of Program and Operations, it's it, it kind of started when you first referred kids to us, right? So this is a 20 plus year 
career. You guys have almost in a lot of ways mirrored each other's you know, longevity and career because she's 20 plus years also with Make-A-Wish. So how has it been working with Denise directly um, all these years in just kind of that relationship? Because obviously one of the things that we pride ourselves at our chapter is having a personal relationship with everyone that we work with, especially like you and Rose and Trish and, and all others from the, from the hospital settings, you know, it's really that personal relationship. And when we see each other, we're always talking about, you know, when was the best restaurant that we last ate at, you know, or, you know, or we see each other during hospital parties and we're always catching up or we kind of go back and forth on certain kids that maybe we're, we're working on together in, in, in different capacities. And, you know, so it's really about that. It's about building these interpersonal relationships with people. And you have one with Denise that's over 20 years. So yeah. how, how is that? Well, I mean, I can't say, I can't say enough. Um, about Denise. Um, she's just has always been the steady presence at the chapter. It's, it's kind of like a family. We have um, worked on wishes that have taken place at the hospital, even. Um, and Denise and crew, the rest of her crew, the rest of you guys have sponsored and organized, like you said earlier, many a party at the hospital and at our outpatient clinic. Um, you know, in the most recent years, we've partnered on the Childhood Cancer Awareness and Sickle Cell Awareness Month party, holiday parties, and, you know, even the less formal pizza parties are always a lot of fun, and and you guys always find a way to make it a little extra special. Absolutely. And shout out to the Children and Adolescent Cancer and Blood Disease Center, because, you know, they're also great partners in care in because there is so much overlap, you know, within all the different departments. And, you know, sometimes our wish kids start with you, but then somehow they kind of are all over the place sometimes with, the, with what they're dealing with. And, you know, there has been many times where I go and visit a kid in a certain place. And then I go, then I see another, they say another child that I'm working on, you know, there as well. And I'm like, I didn't even know you were here. Last time I saw you, you were in this other spot. So <laughs> it's just kind of interesting how, you know, it really does take a village, not only to grant a wish, but also to provide families with the support that they need in order to get through their treatment journey. So, you know, it really is truly a, a, a great team that you guys have over there. And when I say that you guys are like family, um, you know, your family, you t typically think of uh, as are the people that you can really rely on and count on. And I always feel like we can always rely um, and count on you guys to help us in, in any way possible, even on short notice. Um, and I can't really think of a time where you guys have ever said that you couldn't do something. Um, and even um, at once a long, long time ago, um, a quick story to share. Uh, you've even been a resource for me when uh, it was a child who didn't qualify for a wish because of their age, their young age. But um, this was a child who was under way under the age of three. Um, and I needed uh, to get her and her mom back home to, to Mexico. Um, and she was, uh, she was going to pass. And I, I had like a couple of days window to get this done. And I called Denise and I said, listen, I, I need a travel agent that can help me with this. And I know that you guys must. And so she gave me the name of a travel agent who helped me figure out everything 
that I needed to figure out in order to get this family where they needed to be. Um, so you guys didn't have any, you know, hands on experience with it. But you, when I thought of like, who do I know who can help me with this and give me a resource that's going to be able to help me? I thought of you guys and you came through as yeah. usual. No, <laughs> you know, you said it, you hit the nail on the head with, we are family, you know, we truly are, you know, constantly looking out for each other. You know, one of the things I know that we do on a, you know, pretty quarterly basis is we kind of talk about within the office. We're like, hey, what, what can we do for the kids that are at the hospital right now? Because, you know, yeah. there is a time where, you know, there's, there's just, they, they need a break. You know, they need something that's going to uplift their spirits in that moment, whether they're a wish kid or not. But if we can bring them some sort of joy by having a character there, or, you know, like you said, in the past, we've done cookies and pizza and, you know, we've done all types of things to try to engage with the kids that are there and the families, because more likely than not, there are families there that are there. So they're, they're there all the time and they don't really have a break and you see that firsthand i mean you i want to go back to something you mentioned before which was you know when a kid uh doesn't have a good prognosis one of the biggest misconceptions about make a wish is that we only grant wishes to kids that are terminally ill but the reality is that the majority of our kids are going through a treatment process and unfortunately some of the kids may pass away but the majority of the kids do get past their treatment and move on and live very fruitful lives those that may be listening to this podcast i mean they a lot of times their their concerns with getting involved with the chapter or getting involved with Make-A-Wish in general is that it's too close, that the kids are going to pass away. And when I looked at stats, you know, a few years back when we were in celebration of our 30th anniversary, um, I recall just looking at the numbers. I mean, as far as what we know, you know over 76% of the kids that we've granted wishes to throughout our history up to that point were alive. And they were... They were doing stuff. They were out there. They were, you know, they're, they're, they're living their, their best life. Um, so the percentage of kids that are passing away, while it's extremely sad, um, is very little in comparison to the kids that do survive after their wish. So, I mean, you handle this daily. Um, this is a conversation. I mean, I can't, even, I can't even imagine the conversations you have to have on a day-to-day. -day. What sustains you? What keeps you kind of going? Because that, that, that must weigh on you. You know, after a while, I do again want to stress what you said that there are a lot of survivors. Yes, we have a survivorship clinic, um, and we have a huge survivorship celebration. Um, usually every year with COVID, you know, that has changed a lot of uh, things that we're able to do. But you know, we couldn't have a survivorship event or a survivorship clinic if we didn't have survivors. So yes, many children do survive. And that is part of what sustains you, even when you know that some children are not going to. The other thing personally for me is I've always looked at um, being able to be there with a family and help them through that. Um, for me, is a sacred moment. It's, it's not something that I walked in the first day knowing how to handle, knowing what to do. I still remember the first child who, who didn't survive and the day that uh, it happened, I walked in the room and the intensity that was there, I couldn't tolerate. I turned around and walked out and then beat myself up and said, what kind of a 
terrible social worker are you? You were absolutely useless. But it was my first time. Right. Um, and, you know, since then, um, you know, you learn through experience and you learn through each family. Um, whether their, their child survives or not, you learn something from each family. Uh, and each family is so different. And so over time, you, you learn. You learn how um, to best help um, a family. And, and again, we work as a team. Um, I helped institute as part of the way for staff to cope with the loss of a child. Um, I instituted many, many years ago um, what we call a remembrance gathering, but it's only for staff because <clears throat> we have a larger memorial service where parents and families are invited to come. But this was specifically for the staff, a place where we could come after a loss share our memories. Um, and I always find it interesting because no matter how well I know a child or a family, there's always somebody else on the team, a nurse, a doctor, a cleaning person, you know, um, that comes in and shares a story that I didn't know about that child or family. Um, and so I think that we're very supportive of each other when that happens. Um, you know, and I think, you know, having my own spiritual belief also helps me um, cope with it and grieve and in my own way. Yeah, and you know, and just for those that are listening, also for for us at the at the office, one of the things that we do when a child passes is we make sure that we send the family something. In the past, we used to have memory boxes. What we do now is we send little forget-me-not flower seeds um, that we send out in a little packet with a card, um, and we send that out. To the families we do always acknowledge those kids that do pass away and um and we just let the family know that we're here for them and we've had many times where a child passes away and sometimes the family decides to visit us afterwards um because it's a way for them to feel close to um to to the child in a way yes and that's why i always make sure that i let you guys know because i know that you guys follow up and do that Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, that some families will contact you, but other families, you know, may not have the presence of mind to do so. Right. So I generally either send you guys an email or call somebody. Um, and, and that's a great yeah. point, because a lot of times that's another thing that our listeners don't know about is that we are constantly in communication with each other all the time. Okay. You know, so sometimes you hear about a child passing away. Sometimes we hear about the child passing away first. Sometimes we, sometimes neither of us hear it and we just, um, someone randomly tells us or someone reads it an, ob an obit in a newspaper and then that's how we find out, you know, so there's all these different ways that we find out of this type of news, but we immediately go to each other and just alert each other so that we're aware and can be prepared for those things. And, you know, but again, the, the, what we fall back on is knowing that the, the families have this, these memories that they can go back to and think about and. It brings them a lot of joy, um, which switching gears a little bit, I have another question for you, kind of going back to, because um, we've talked about a bunch of stuff. We've talked about how you started as a social worker. You know, we talked about your experience working within the hospital with all the different disciplines and teams and working with us here at Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley and obviously your relationship with Denise. So, you know, that's kind of like a recap of the first, you know, few minutes, uh, not few, uh, what are, where are we now? 
um, whatever amount of time that we've been chatting an hour. Um, I was worried that we wouldn't have enough to talk about. I, I told you, Barbara, listen, this is one of the cool things about the podcast is that we'll go wherever the conversation takes us, which I want to go a little bit into what do you, you know, to lighten up the, the, the mood a little bit. You know, we have a segment on our podcast. It's called the Shooting Star segment which is a series of questions where you say the first thing that comes to mind. You know, we've talked about a bunch of stuff up to this point. You know, share with our listeners what your favorite Make-Wish Hudson Valley memory is over the 20 plus years that you've been connected to our chapter. And I'm sure you have too many to choose from, but if you can pick one, what would it be? That is such an impossible question. (laughs) I really... That's really, really difficult. Um, And, you know, I want to point out that we have like 60 to 70-ish new patients every year. So if you multiply that times 20 years, I have probably referred over a thousand kids, which when I realized that the other day preparing for this, I was like, that is crazy. Barbara coming out with the stats. I love it. (laughs) Over a thousand kids referred over a 20 plus year <laughs> career. Shout out to you and to all those at the hospital that are referring kids to us because I'm telling you, man, a wish can change a child's perspective. It can uplift their spirits. It can have them become more apt to receive treatment. It gives them something to work through to, to that they have a light at the end of the tunnel of their treatment. They, they're waiting for this wish to come true. Um, Man, shout out to you for that, because that's over a thousand kids is unbelievable. So I don't I don't know. I mean, there there are many, many wishes that stand out in my mind. I would have to say that the rush wishes of which there haven't been many are probably one of the more memorable for me. Rush wishes are usually very intense, both in terms of the amount of planning of so many details within a short period of time um, and in terms of purpose. So I would say all the wish rush wishes are my favorites. Um, it takes a real attention to detail and great organizational skills to make a rush wish happen. And the Hudson Valley chapter makes it look easy. I'm always super confident that everything will be taken care of for the child and the family going on the wish. And they'll have very few cares, uh, sometimes during the most difficult part of their life. Um, one rush wish that comes to mind was a young man who wanted to go to Hawaii And on the way back, there was a medical emergency and he had to be hospitalized in California. And it was super stressful for everyone involved. Uh, But Sharon was steadfast and the young man and the family eventually got back to us. Um, And the family keeps in touch with me years later, in spite of those scary moments, they still remember how much their son smiled and laughed on that trip. They felt it was transformative for him and the family. They hadn't seen that side of him for a very long time. And having those memories, you know, as you so well said, you know, has helped the family, you know, bear, you know, the hardship of of loss. And I also remember another one, uh, another young girl who had a brain tumor and she was not very engaged because of the disease, Um, but she loved the movie Frozen. Um, And so Denise, we worked with Denise on that one. And she just, you know, again, the, the attention to details, she got, you know, she got her beautiful frozen dress and the decorations, we decorated the back of arts. Um, 
And Elsa and Anna, of course, came to the hospital um, and sang to her. And she smiled for the first time in a very long time. And her mom smiled for the first time in a very long time. Um, and she even, you know, rallied and, you know, sang along a little bit. Um, and uh, I have to say, you know, um, the young girl did not want Anna and Elsa to leave that day. She wanted, <laughs> she was really, they stayed way longer than they were supposed to. But honestly, I don't think Elsa and Anna wanted to leave either. Um, so I think the feeling was mutual. Um, and just everybody, the, the staff, I mean, we were all very, very much affected. Yeah, and, and shout out to Dave's cast of characters based out of yes. New Rochelle because they are amazing partners with our chapter and with the hospital as well. Um, not only do they provide these kind of last minute you know, uh, opportunities for us to bring some joy to a child, but they also help us out at our walk. They, they donate uh, costumes for a variety of different things over the years. Um, truly amazing partners in the community that I'm hoping to get Dave on, on a podcast in the future because, I mean, he has some amazing wishes that he's worked on. And I, I know just most recently he worked on a wish, and I recall him saying, you know, this is the best wish ever. You know, this is one of the best that I've done. And he was dressed up, I think, as Captain America, if I remember correctly. Um, and he had just the – he has such a great energy as well that just kind of bring lends itself – to these types of characters when they're when he's dressed up by them he has his daughter i think is probably one of the 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 princesses that dresses up all the time and really is a family uh family affair so shout out to him and for for helping us create these types of memories for our families at the at the hospital and also at their homes because they also i remember i had a wish kid her wish was to have a power wheel a barbie power wheels car and um and he and and so we try to you know enhance the heck out of it so we had a, a real life Barbie deliver the Barbie Power Wheels car to this little girl. And it was actually Dave's daughter that actually dressed up as Barbie. Um, and she danced with her and sang with her and did all this fun stuff. And, you know, again, shout out to community partners like that, that really help, you know, lift the experience to an even better level for, for our kids. Next question I have for you is, you know, in what advice would you give someone in the community that wants to get involved if not with volunteering, but just wants to get involved with a local charity, what would you tell them about getting involved with Make-A-Wish Hudson Valley? The first thing I would say to them is that they'll never meet a nicer or more compassionate group of people. The Hudson Valley chapter is very dedicated, not just to the children that they refer and their fam that are referred and their families, but I think that you guys are also very dedicated to your volunteers and staff as well. When I think about it, there's a feeling of absolute equality amongst everyone, staff, volunteers, everyone in any capacity is valued. And being in that, that culture of kindness uh, will spread to you personally. Bringing joy to others will bring you happiness and blessings as well. So that's what I would say to anybody. Well, that's really sweet, Barbara, and, and, and really shout out to our leadership team at our chapter who have instilled that in, in me and instilled it in all of us on staff. You know, it comes from our board. It comes from our president, CEO, and Tom. You know, one of the things that we talk about a lot at our trainings for volunteers is that, you know, we got to check our egos at the door. When you come into the wish house, the ego stays out there, and you come in and you're ready to 
you know, get your hands dirty. Let's get to work, whatever that looks like, whether it's working directly on a wish, working at an event, helping us virtually now that during this pandemic has been something crazy, which we haven't talked about. So oh. we should probably talk about that, I think. I mean, you know, elephant, yeah, I mean, elephant in the room. Um, we have here, we're, we're recording this episode in 2021. We just went through the craziest year of 2020. You're on the front lines. Shout out to you for, and thank you for, for your time, for your dedication to, to the community. Um, I mean, how has, how, I mean, this all happened almost a year ago in March is when everything kind of started shutting down, but your work has never stopped. The kids are still at the hospital. Things are still happening with all these additional protocols for safety and all this stuff. How has that been? It, I can't even imagine. It, it's been challenging and heartbreaking at times, you know, to have to tell a family. I mean, we've had children who were newly diagnosed going into surgery um, and not right now, but, you know, back when everything first started, we've had to tell families, no, you know, dad can't come and see their child. It's one fam one family member and one family only. Um, and, you know, that's heartbreaking to, to have to put those kinds of limitations when we are, you know, pride ourselves on being family-centered care. Right. Um, so it just goes against the grain. It goes against everything that we stand for and the way that we've always done things. But for the health and well-being, you know, of, of everyone, staff and family members and children who um, are critically ill and immune compromised, you know, these terrible decisions had to be made. Um, you know, that's that's been been difficult. Even just something simple like getting laundry done. You know, we have in the hospital, we have a laundry room that was manned by volunteers. COVID hit, no more volunteers. And it's, we can't allow the families to go and use the machines. So now they have no place to, to wash their clothes. The Ronald McDonald House, they had to shut down their day program. So families couldn't go over there and wash their clothes. Um, so, you know, Mary Delaney, um, the social worker in the Family Resource Center at the hospital, we kind of put our heads together and say, you know, what can we do? We contacted a, um, a Rosa's laundromat in the neighborhood, uh, explained the situation, and uh, they graciously for, you know, many months would come by meet the family downstairs, take their laundry, wash their clothes, and then bring it back free of charge. Wow. <laughs> but for our families who are in the hospital for months and months, and you can't trade off, right? Because if you could trade off, you could take your dirty laundry home and wash it and come back. But when you can't trade, trade, you're just stuck there. Um, so even, you know, very concrete things like that, like having clean clothes, became yeah. difficult. Yeah, and these are the challenges that our families are facing now during the pandemic that, you know, it's, unless you're in it, you would have no clue. Um, and I think that's an important thing to, to, to share with those that are listening is that, you know, while we're able to provide an amazing experience to our families, 
you know, outside of a hospital setting, there are still a lot of families that are in that hospital setting on a daily basis and are having to deal with these types of challenges. And, you know, it's, it's great that we have people like you that are in a, in a position to be able to help them and connect community members that have a particular skill set um, to be able to help these families um, in this new world that we live in. So, I mean, that is absolutely amazing. Shout out to Rosa's Laundromat. Uh, for their just amazing work because, I mean, families need clean clothes. Um, and if they can't leave and they have to be in there, that's extremely important. Um, so, wow, the things you learn on the podcast, guys, it's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, and look, it's real, you know? Yeah, and it's true. workers deal with real, everyday things, the, the side effects of, you know, illness. The doctors and the nurses are there to deal with the medical stuff and, you know, everything else that kind of comes up because of it kind of falls in our basket. Right. And you guys have to figure out how to how to fix it in a lot of ways and on the fly. And sometimes you don't there's there's a time that you have to get it done by. And it's, <laughs> it's extremely challenging. But that's why, you know, we are honoring social workers um, during this month of March, because amazing help you provide our families and members and people in the community that need of you. Um, and you guys are always selfless. I have to say, I mean, there's so many times that, you know, I've received emails from you that are very late at night that I know are past you on working hours um, <laughs> or very early in the morning. And, you know, and those are things that, um, that you guys go above and beyond, you know, to really make sure that the families have the support that they need when they need it. So shout out to all the social workers, all the child life specialists during the month of March for all the amazing work that you guys do, not only in our community, but in communities all around the United States. Um, shout out. Um, I have another question for you, Barbara. Um, if you could have a wish, what would it be? And to remind our listeners, we have five formal wish categories. They are to go, to meet, to have, to be, and to give. So out of those five formal wish categories, what would your wish be? That was not a difficult question for me to answer at all. There you um, go. So in line with Make-A-Wish's mission, uh, a wish should be something that is restorative and life-affirming. And for me, there's no place more restorative than the beach. I also have great curiosity and affinity for dolphins. So my wish would be to interact with them, swim with them, touch one, um, play with one. Um, I'm fascinated by dolphins and the beach is definitely my happy place. Even a not great day on the beach is still restorative. So that, that would be, that would be what I would most want to do. Hey man, there's nothing like walking on the beach on a cold kind of fall day with a hoodie and, uh, and just walking and just hearing the sound of the waves hitting again. Yes. That's one of the most amazing uh, ex experiences that you can have. And also, I mean, you love the beach, but I'm sure you don't want to be there during the you know, fall. Um, you, you, you love music. You, know, you love flamenco. You love mambo. So share with, you know, how did, how did you get into flamenco and mambo? I mean, being Dominican, I thought it would be bachata, you know, merengue, you know, you got something like that. But here we got flamenco and mambo as two of your favorite types of music. So share with, <laughs> share with me a little bit about that. How did that start? Well, you know, it goes back to growing up in Washington Heights. And when I was growing up there, there were, as I said earlier, 
uh, mostly Cubans and Puerto Rican um, families. Um, and so I grew up listening to, to salsa music. And as a teenager, um, went to many parties and learned to dance. And, um, and so that's remained a passion for me for, for many, many years. It's one of the things that brings me joy that that is an outlet. Um, you know, you need to balance, I, I think it's important in life to have balance. And when you have um, an emotionally draining, and sometimes physically draining job, uh, you need to offset it with something and music in general, is something that always uh, uplifts me. When I come home, uh, I don't turn on the news. I turn on Pandora um, and listen to some kind of music. Yeah. Um, and that uh, rejuvenates me. So, um, you know, and flamenco, I got interested in a few years ago. I just, again, I love the music. Actually, I went to Spain um, many years ago. and. Um, and saw real flamenco dancing there. And it's just such a gutsy, passionate music and dance that I really um, love it. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, we're learning all types of things here on this podcast. You know, we talk about dancing as a way, as a release. It's an exciting, it, it just, it changes the pace of the way of what you're feeling, right? Um, and in a lot of ways, Granny Wishes is like a dance. Because, you know, with dancing, you sometimes have to lead. Sometimes you kind of take a step back and kind of let the other person shine a little bit. And that's exactly what it is with a wish. I mean, we constantly have to go back and forth at the pace of the family's interest. Ah, you see how I tied it all together, right? It's interesting. Yes, I'm impressed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it is like dancing, you know, and, and, and sometimes you take a couple steps forward and sometimes you take a step back. But at the end of the day, you're still going through a process in trying to get to the end right and that's where we're going with with wishes is to grant that wish and uh and every wish is different but every wish is important and is and is and is special so you know thank you so much barbara for for taking some time out of your busy schedule to, to chat with me and with our chapter to just talk about your experiences referring kids to us and you know the purpose of this podcast is to share with our listeners and our supporters members of our community that are working behind the scenes to grant wishes and you knowing now that over a thousand kids have passed through your hands through the referral process and potentially you know the majority of those have been touched by a wish it's it's mind-boggling the amount of lives that you've impacted not just with the wish kids directly but also all the members of the family that that are a part of the wish experience barbara we have one last question for you in one word, how would you describe Make-A-Wish? So, and this is going to tie in really nicely with the sweatshirt that you're wearing today. All right. So and for those that are listening word. in, I have a special sweatshirt. It's one of my favorite ones I wear. It's from a trip that I went with my, with my kids and my wife to Hershey Park. So just as a setup, there you go, Barbara. So um, synchronistically... The word that I would uh, use to describe Make-A-Wish and have been using this word for many, many years um, is dessert. Ah. There is a great little book that's called Life is Uncertain, Eat Dessert First by Saul Gordon and Harold Brecker. 
The Make-A-Wish Foundation makes life sweeter for children and families facing sometimes painful and uncomfortable treatments and coping with all the disruptions and fears that go along with living with a life-threatening illness. The foundation brings joy to where there is pain and uncertainty. And I don't know anybody who doesn't like dessert. And the Make-A-Wish Foundation has all the right ingredients, a life-affirming mission, great staff and volunteers, generous donors, financial accountability, and longevity. Amazing, Barbara. Thank you so much for, for those amazing words. And for those that are listening, please make sure to have dessert first um, because that sweetness is going to carry you through the toughest times. So our special thanks to our guest, Barbara, for joining us today and for sharing how she's giving back to her local community and to the children that we serve collaboratively. So Barbara, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I did. This is great fun. <laughs> thank you so much um, from all of us at the chapter for your dedication to our mission, because without you know people in the community like you, we, it would be impossible for us to do the work that, that we do on our end. So it's a great partnership, Barbara. It is, most definitely. To our listeners, remember, you can always refer to our show notes for additional information about the topics we discussed today. We also invite you to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Let us know how we're doing and any questions you may want us to add to our Shooting Star segment. Special thanks to the executive producers of the Wish House podcast, Jillian Rodriguez and Sydney Wolf. Shout out to Wish alum Brian Chin for providing us with our Wish House podcast theme music. And finally, from all of us at the Wish House, stay safe and stay healthy.